So, Rachel. Yeah? The Enterprise must contend with a massive space cloud that eats planets, now targeting a Federation colony of over 82 million. Hmm. What do you think you're going to get? Sounds like a combo of classic concepts. So let's say it's controlled by a central brain or computer so Kirk can talk it to death. Or they'll work out how to beam it away somewhere. Is it time for Eric's to talk? Only one way to find out. Okay. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, star date 5371.3. A huge cosmic cloud has been reported moving into the outer fringe of our galaxy. Nothing like it has ever been seen before. Starfleet Command has sent the Enterprise to investigate as we are the only vessel in the vicinity of the phenomenon. Our present position is in the Palace 14 system, which contains Mantilles, the most remote inhabited planet in the entire Federation. Welcome to Rachel Watcher Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey, and we're joined by our eldest son. Albert Lackey. Back by popular demand. You asked for him, he's here. Hi. The animated series of Star Trek is supposed to be for children. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get your ideas as we go along today. But before we get started, I just want to say a little shout out to our friends over at a new podcast called In Research Of, which has been produced by Friends of the Show and features our theme tune. We'll talk about it a lot more at the end of the episode, but go and check it out, In Research Of. Now, Albert, you just watched the episode, One of Our Planets is Missing. Yeah. And we're going to do a light summary of that because the plot wasn't too complicated compared to Star Trek usually. Yeah. Did you find it complicated, Ambi? Uh, I kind of didn't understand the story. I kind of did understand what was happening, but kind of not. Kind hmm. of not. Okay. All right, we'll see what sense you made of it. Now, you may have noticed that this episode is titled with two episodes because we're going to cram two into one. Mm-hmm. So this first one is going to be pretty short, and we're going to go to more detail on the Lorelei episode because that one yes. had more to talk about. So the name of this episode is... One of our planets is missing. The crew discover a matter-energy cloud that appears to be eating planets. Unfortunately, it's moving to an inhabited world. They warn the planet, but they can't evacuate in time, so the Enterprise must find a way to stop it. So did you know what was going on so far, Albie? Yeah, pretty much. What did you think of the animation to start with? Uh, it's not very good. Oh, oh. From a long time ago. Limited uh, budget. Yeah, there yeah. was a limited budget. I saw a beetroot in the bridge. What was it? I don't know. It was sitting by one of the computers, the ones on the right side. Right. Wow, okay. Well, if anyone knows what Albert's talking about, let us know. (laughs) The Enterprise follows the cloud and they're pulled into it. They fire their phasers, but the cloud absorbs their phasers. Do you remember that bit? Yeah, I remember that. I remember them saying that. It doesn't hurt it. It gives it more strength. Objects around the ship, those are those kind of white things that look a bit like, I don't know. Vitamins or, I don't know. Antibodies. Antibodies? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember those. Yeah. Draining the shields. Spock determines the cloud is a living being and the objects are like enzymes breaking up what the cloud has consumed. Scotty has a great idea. Captain, you said that villi are antimatter. If we could get a piece of it, I could put it in the antimatter engine and it would regenerate. We'd have enough power for the engines and the shields to go on maximum again. We need both the matter and the antimatter engines regenerated. Matter's no problem. We could beam aboard some of the planet chunks out there. And we can cut a piece of the antimatter villi with the tractor beam and transport it aboard like that. 
bring it aboard. If the antimatter touches the inside of the ship, or any of us, we'll be blown to bits. I can rig a force field box that'll hold the piece of villi suspended in the center. Then I can take it into the antimatter nacelle, put it into the regenerating chamber, and release the force field by remote control. And guess what? It works! Yeah. They're able to power the Enterprise up and have enough energy in the shields to keep the yeah. antimatter away. And there's a room that we haven't seen before in the Enterprise. That's what was right. It? it looked like a, the giant inside of some kind of race car thingy. I think it was they were inside the actual nacelles, you know, those big things on the side. Mm-hmm. And they oh, were up yeah. in there putting the antimatter into the nacelle, I think. Oh, Kirk wants to phaser the cloud's brain. Spock says that goes against Starfleet regulations about not killing intelligent life. What do you think, Albie? Should they kill the brain of this cloud that's been eating planets? Or is that wrong because the cloud has a life too? Um, It's not an easy question. They should get it. They should get the cloud? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. They should phaser its brain. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, one cloud life as opposed to, you know, millions of human lives, I'd say it's kind of a no-brainer. Well, Kirk agrees with you both. <laughs> a no-brainer. To have enough power, they will have to self-destruct. Now what do you think about it? They're going to have to blow themselves up just to destroy this cloud. Yeah, I didn't understand that part. I'm like, what? Yeah, because yeah. their weapons aren't powerful enough, so they're going to have to destroy the whole ship, themselves included. To save 80 million people on the planet. Because there's only about 400 people on the ship. What do you think of that? <laughs> mm. They're going to kill themselves, all their friends, 400 of them, destroy the ship yeah. to protect 80 million people. And that's going to be a really short animated series too. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good point. That True. would be, yeah. So True we know that. that they don't do it, don't we? Meanwhile, Spock has seven minutes to communicate with the cloud. He mind melds and helps it see glimpses of human life. Jim, if we don't self-destruct now, all those people will die. The cloud has stopped, sir. Comprehend. Not desire to consume other beings. Quiet. There are many things in our galaxy, like the one you just perceived. Truth. Truth. You do not desire to consume other beings. It would be best if you return to your origin the way you came. Will you do this? A long journey. Will you return? We'll return to origin place. Lieutenant Uhura, contact Governor Wesley. Tell him to bring his ships back. Yes, Captain. Spark, you did it. The cloud is leaving. I believe so, Captain. Spark, what did you perceive? The wonders of the universe, Captain. Incredible. Completely incredible. What was he doing with that brain thing? His hands out. Yeah, that was his eyes closed. Yeah, and I noticed their lips are the same color as their skin and their eyes open. The Mm -hmm. inside of their eyes are the same color as their skin. And the only part that's a different color is their hair, their pupils, and their eyebrows. Yeah, what do you think of that? Well, it's pretty old, so. (laughs) Yeah, it is pretty old. You're trying to be nice to it because it's old? No. Not really. So you saw the bit where Spock had his arms up and his eyes closed. Yeah, you I didn't sure understand what... what was happening there. Could you hear something talking? Oh, what is that? For a minute I was thinking it was the black screen. But it was inside his mind because in his mind he was communicating with the cloud. 
It was the cloud's voice. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> the cloud's thoughts, because Bach is telepathic. So, like, I would just think something, and then you would hear in your head yeah. what I'm thinking. Like in the 12th book of Captain Underpants. Exactly. Oh, yeah? <laughs> exactly. Older George and Harold, the three hamster dactyls, they hear it. <laughs> Spock can do that, and this cloud has a mind. How did they change their plan? Yeah, so it didn't really make sense to you, did it? No. No. I think what happened was they had a few minutes left before they had to blow themselves up and kill it. So they thought, well, Spock, give it a try. See if you can talk to the cloud. Maybe it'll listen. They decided to go away. And not eat the planet full of the 80 million people. Because it didn't really know they were people with feelings. It, maybe it thought of them as like ants or something like that. And Spock helped them understand that. They were important people, so it said, do not wish to consume life or something. Well, let's get into the concepts. Familiar concepts. They kept it fairly simple, which I think is good for a short episode. It being a body was a twist kind of thing. Initially, they were planning to go out the pooper. They were going through its digestive system. What are you talking about? Go out of its bottom. <laughs> Why were they going to leave it? Well, because eventually it would eat them up. It would absorb them because it was made out of antimatter and matter and antimatter. When they touch each other, kaboom, they blow up. So they had to get out of the body of the alien eventually. They ended up going out through its sense organ at the end. That's what Spock said. Mark Daniels, who wrote this script, also directed the Doomsday Machine. So I guess he doesn't really have that many ideas. Uh. Kirk also kind of quotes himself. He says, man rose above primitiveness by vowing, I will not kill today. And in the episode Taste of Armageddon, he says, We're human beings with the blood of a million savage years on our hands, but we can stop it. We could admit that we're killers, but we're not going to kill today. That's all it takes, knowing that we won't kill today. Mm, pretty similar there, yeah. yeah. So we had melding with the being and helping it to empathize, which was a nice concept to introduce. Mm -hmm. We've had it before. Yeah. Spock is no longer the only alien on the ship. We've got Eric's. McCoy doesn't taunt him, though. I'm going to give it 5 out of 10 in the context that much of it is familiar. If this were an early season 1 episode, I may have given it more. It's pretty run of the mill, but it does it solidly, so I give it a 5 as well, right down the middle. What do you give it, Albie, for ideas? A 5 and a half. Entertainment. Kirk's not really doing much this season. No. Which gives other people a chance, doesn't it? Yeah. Unremarkable episode, I guess. Not long enough to be boring. It was okay. I'm giving it 5 out of 10. Again, pretty run-of-the-mill, like kind of right down the middle. It moved pretty fast, and I know we're not giving it much attention. It was just, eh. So, yeah. five, yeah. Compared to Captain Underpants and Teen Titans, would you ever watch it again? Yeah, I would be in another episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> would you watch this episode again like you watch Teen Titans all the time? Why would I watch it again? Exactly. So, what do you think? Three. Three out of ten. Okay. okay. So, sexiness. Well, we don't know if we should still have this category, yeah. but for now we're stuck with it. I thought Spock melding in that posture was pretty hot, actually. So I'm giving it a three out of five. Uh, two out of five for me. How pretty and handsome do you think people looked out of five? Three and a half. Okay. Okay, wow. My guess is, well, it wasn't a brain or computer, but it was like a body. So maybe a quarter point for that. Kirk didn't talk it to death, but Spock's mind meld had mm -hmm. some similarities. Right. And Eric's did talk. So come on, I get yeah. points for that. Yeah, you do get points for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he talked. Well, Albert, I want to thank you for helping us out with this episode and sitting and watching it with us. Hopefully we'll have you back on another one you can watch. Yeah. Take care. We'll see you later. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 All right, now let's go into the Lorelei signal. So, Rachel. Yeah? Lieutenant Uhura, Nurse Chapel, and the Enterprise women must take charge of the ship from 
incapacitated male senior officers and rescue Captain Kirk and his landing party held on an alien world. This is a long time coming. Yeah. Never thought it'd be the day. So how about a testosterone-born disease that makes the men incapable of running the ship? Mm -hmm. The men will be reluctant to give up control to the women. Everyone's relieved when the men are back to normal, but still horror. Mm-hmm. Captain's log, stardate 5483.7. The Enterprise is en route through an unfamiliar sector of space, where a series of Earth Federation ships have disappeared mysteriously during the last 150 years. Recent joint discussions with the Klingon and Romulan empires have revealed that a starship has disappeared in this sector precisely every 27.346 star years. This episode, The Lorelei Signal, was written by Margaret Arman. She wrote The Gamesters of Triskelion, The Paradise Syndrome, and The Cloudminders. Ooh. And it's directed by Hal Sutherland, who directed most of these episodes. So all of those episodes had alluring female aliens. Two of them fell in love with Kirk. There's also a headband theme, because right. in the Paradise Syndrome, Kirk gets a headband given to him to mark that he's now the medicine man right. leader thing. Yeah. So it begins with the Enterprise arriving at the area of space where ships have disappeared seemingly every 27 years for the last 150 years. We have an above shot of the bridge with Uhura lounging about. Yeah, it looks like everybody's leaning in a weird way, mm -hmm. like maybe it was an animation from when they were thrown to the side and oh. they just left it. So they pick up a subspace radio signal, which sounds like music. Spock says that they're being probed from a planet that is 20 light years away. Hmm? Man, that's far. How? And Kirk notes that is indeed far. And Spock says that it's the Torian system on the edge of the sector. You can't trust Torians, Chris. People from the planet Taurus? Or... Oh, no, just us. Oh, yeah. yeah. People born at a certain time. So sensual. Uh, so sensual. Yeah. Woo. All right. So all the male crew members, including Spock, for once, feel the song calling to them. Yeah, as you pointed out, often Spock is immune to everything or yeah. feels it less intensely. But in this one, he's a man, so he's affected like every other man. Right. Also, Eric's is affected. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, sure. So I guessed they were maybe sirens, like mermaids, something mm -hmm. like that. So the Legend of Lorelei is the German equivalent of sirens who lured sailors to rocks with their singing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uhura hears it as a message, not a summons. But Kirk says, warp seven to the Torian system. So on the way there, Uhura gets Nurse Chapel. You better get in here, Christine. <laughs> and says that the males on board are wigging out because of this message. The men begin getting audio-visual hallucinations, and Spock says that it's like the Vulcan marriage drum. <laughs> and they show us someone playing a Vulcan marriage drum. It's just dum, dum. Dumb. They really know how to party, don't they? <laughs> how to mark a celebration uh, over there. They sure do. So Kirk sees a woman with a flower in his hallucination. We know he likes those from Shaw Leave and the Apple. Uh, Dr. McCoy sees some flower blossoms. Huh? Yeah, I know. It's very weird. Oh, her and Chapel tell them that they see nothing, that they don't have these hallucinations. And McCoy is called up to scan everybody on the bridge. I get it. Why does Kirk see a woman with flowers and McCoy just sees flowers? I don't. Are they just being realistic that McCoy wouldn't be able to pull when he got there? He'd just have to look at the flowers. He's had some action though. Uh, yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, he has. Yeah, in my fanfic, he gets some action. Oh, really? Yeah, oh my do. gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wait, is it fanfic or is it erotica? Well, can it be both? They arrive at Torian Planet 2, where there was once a vast civilization. The men are baked. All the men on the ship are just woozy, kind of unfocused. Tripping out. Tripping out. Off beam, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a red shirt. Yeah. 
the red shirt seems to get forgotten about at in the episode. Point, yeah. yeah. Well, he's not best friends gang, is no, he? No, he's not. So her and Chapel check out this probe data that Spock has been looking at, and they see that what he was writing is totally wrong. Mm, that's not like Spock. No. So this is the Ahura episode that we have always wanted. No we're, one said there was one. I didn't know there was. I don't think they did anyway, did they? No. Oh my God, we're getting it right now, and I love it. Oh, I didn't dare trust it, though. I just knew they were going to undercut it, or Gene was just going to F it. Well, I was writing it for all it was worth, and let me tell you, it is worth quite a bit. Yeah, it is. So on the surface of the planet, the gang is still high off their asses, and the place is totally cool looking, alien and strange, really taking advantage again of the animation. McCoy says, it's amazing, and Kirk agrees. Are they not going to say it's paradise? (laughs) You've changed. (laughs) Spock says since they're all messed up, they should probably chill out, but Kirk's like, no, man, it's all cool. Let's go check out that building. Oh, no, Spock's that voice of reason you have on a drunken night out. Yeah, but but he's still going along with it. Yeah, true. Didn't take much convincing. Kirk is not thinking with his brain, he's thinking with another organ, isn't he? His ear? Oh. Audio? Is that organ? So inside, there are a, a bunch of blonde, blue-eyed women. They look like She-Ra. Well, she was produced by Filmation. Well, yeah, but they don't have to do exactly the same outfit. <laughs> it's just because they've got gold headbands and they've got a similar face. Yeah, they, yeah. Ju- they just, yeah. But they do look a lot like She-Ra. She-Ra. Yeah. Princess of power. There you go. They are here. Such wondrous, wondrous ones. They oh. honor us. I am Thela, the head female. Welcome, James Kirk. Dr. McCoy. Mr. Spock. Welcome. The form is humanoid, but there are many internal differences. Their bodies appear to function on an unusual psychokinesis level. First time I ever admired a body function. <laughs> Whoa! Ever had, what? How what? is it the first time he's ever admired a body function? He's a doctor. I mean, it, breathing's pretty impressive. You know, heart beating, that's very impressive. It just comes off all creepy. <laughs> How has he ever not admired that? That's his job, isn't it? Is yeah. he really interested in bodies? Plus, it just it made me think of farting when it's, it's a body yeah, function. Yeah, it's, movements, yeah something yeah. like that. But she totally ignores the red shirt. <laughs> yeah, which interestingly to me is only the second time I've read a comment within the script. You know how they have the transcripts of every oh, episode. Oh, right, yeah. There was one which said that that woman didn't dance as good as Vina. Oh, right, yes. Uh, yeah, the Orion yeah, woman yeah, in yeah. Uh, Whom Gods Destroy. Yeah. yeah, and then this is only the second time I've seen one and it says, what, the red shirt is suddenly invisible? How rude. <laughs> <laughs> they put that in the transcript. Thela uh, welcomes them and they see stuff through this magic tech screen. It's called the Optoad, I guess optical and audio. Mm. Spock scans them and he finds that they're humanoid with some internal differences and they have high levels of psychokinesis. Do they? That's what he said. Moving minds psychic powers that's not psychic powers okay. it's what he's trying to say but yeah. psychokinesis is specifically moving an object with your mind which is yeah. something they don't do well no a bit creepy and intrusive that he scans them like that without asking isn't it but then i know they've got to stay safe yeah Theo explains that the Optoad sent out the message and they are honored to have them as guests and they've prepared a feast. Oh, it should be fine then. Captain's log, star date 5483.9. The beauty of this place is unequaled. It's the answer to all a man's dreams. Exquisite in every way. We're here to investigate, to investigate. The women radiate the light. 
Uh-oh. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> so they all get throw pillows, and then they have a lot of food and entertainment. Here we go again. McCoy asks where the men are, and they say, oh, they're in another compound. And they're just like, oh, okay, cool. Whatever. Back to the sensualities. <laughs> the guys, they all get weak, and then they faint. McCoy says the drinks are stronger than Saurian brandy. <laughs> throw in a little booze reference for the kids. Daddy's freezer water. Oh. They are taken to resting chambers. When they come to, they are wearing a headband and they have all aged many years. But isn't a headband quite aging anyway? <laughs> Send us pictures of you all <laughs> with and without <laughs> and we'll decide. Oh boy. So back on the Enterprise, we got Cagney and Lacey, I mean, Chapel and Uhura <laughs> on the case. They got some all-female science teams on the job. And this episode never stops specifying that we need an all-female team <laughs> at all times. They discover that humanoid males are affected by the environment, causing weakness and eventually death. Ooh. I want an all-woman security team on every transporter immediately. No one is to transport down to the planet unless it is on my order. Aye, aye, Lieutenant. What are you doing? Taking command of this ship. Yeah! yeah! <laughs> Woo! So good. I don't care what anyone says, this episode is canon! Yes, why wouldn't it be? Turnaround Intruder is, and this isn't? Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. So back on the planet, the guy's headbands glow when Thela and her crew show up. Kirk says that they need to go back to the ship, but Thela won't let them. She wants more men to beam down. Mm, we've had this a few times before, these predatory females mm -hmm. who need impregnating, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so back on the Enterprise, we have this very long bit of the ship in space just floating slowly <laughs> past the planet. So and long. Scotty singing. <laughs> it's so long, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it just For kept going stress. on we kept going how long are they going to do this like they had to fill some time or something so Uhura and Chapel come onto the bridge and tell Scotty that Uhura is now in command <laughs> he doesn't seem bothered <laughs> yeah I respect that yeah and Chapel is now chief medical officer hot damn sisters are doing it for themselves yeah standing on the own two feet <laughs> ringing bells or something I don't know I don't know, know that song ship's log supplemental lieutenant Uhura recording Due to Chief Engineering Officer Scott's euphoric state of mind, I am assuming command of the Enterprise. I accept full responsibility for my action. A detailed account will be recorded later. Yeah! Oh, so good. Ships logged by Uhura. Oh, oh, feels so good. Oh, just let that manicured nail press that button again <laughs> and again for me. I love it. <laughs> We're putting a lot of clips in this podcast but baby is finally out of the corner yes. and into the captain's chair oh. we ain't gonna get this uhura badassery again so i'm taking full advantage do it do it <laughs> so on the planet the guys communicators have been taken but not the medical kid so mccoy's able to give them a stimulant to help them escape but they're very weak and they can barely move they make it out of the complex and are pursued we see the running figures in silhouette against the background. Mm -hmm. So they climb into this giant urn to evade the women. I wonder why that giant urn was there. <laughs> and the women are quite bad at hide and seek, aren't they? <laughs> they don't even think of looking in they there. They just give up. So the guys figure out that the, when the women get closer, the headbands glow and they get weaker. Spock thinks that the women are draining away their life force. Spock says that the women are more vital now than when they arrived. At the rate they're aging, McCoy thinks they'll have four days left before they're dead. Or he will anyway. He's supposed to be 10 years older. Yeah. Spock, since Vulcans have a longer lifespan, says he can take it and therefore he'll go to the building and try and find their gear and call the Enterprise. 
prize for help. So we get Spock being an international badass as yes. usual. Spock makes it in and he uses the opto odd. I think he actually sings to get it to work. I'm <laughs> not think sure. it sings as it opens. Because it sounded like a woman singing. Like, oh, like that. Here we go. It's this. That's not Spock, is it? It doesn't sound like Spock, but maybe he's imitating the woman's voice to the right frequency to get the Optoad to yeah. work. It works, and he's able to find their weapons and communicators hidden under the throne. He can pick any lock or crack any code, can't he, in seconds. That's Spock. That's Spock. <laughs> so just then, the ladies show up and recapture him. But before they can steal his life away, Ahura Chapel in five red skirts. <laughs> yeah, see what I did That's there? That's good. An all-woman security team, they beam down. Yeah. Where have they been all this time, though? So good. Uhura tells them that they want to know where Kirk is, and Thela tells them, you leave. You have no business on our planet. But then Uhura says, I don't play that. (laughs) And she just totally rocks these Torians. They just stun the hell out of them. It's awesome. Stun first, ask questions later. (laughs) This is what they should have been doing all along. Yes. (laughs) So Uhura and Chapel look around. They can't find anybody, but Spock psychically reaches out to Chapel. And Chapel hears him love connection Mm. and they find spock they transport him back to the enterprise he's now very wrinkly and sunken in the face outside it's pouring rain and the urn is filling up with water and since they're so old and feeble they can drown no on the enterprise chapel removes the headband she just takes it off (laughs) i'm like why didn't they do that i don't understand yeah does anyone understand why they didn't do that i don't know let us know Spock says that they need to jack up the deflectors to stop the mind control of the women. I was disappointed that Spock still gets to be the brains of the rescue, but the women do say they already tried that. He just offers a little tweak on it. Yeah, he just says it's got to be full All power. power. All the yeah. power. So her comes back down and threatens to destroy the whole place <laughs> unless they get Kirk company back. She's like, see me disintegrate this vase with my phaser? That'll be you if you don't obey me. Yeah, Woo. and Thela and Dara, they surrender. They're like, okay, yeah, you me business we're not messing around and they go let me explain to you how the situation happened so a little exposition for kind of no real reason mm-hmm. uh the opti odd explains that they came to this world from another dying planet something about the energies of the planet suck away life force but the women evolved to be immune to it and be able to use it they begin draining the men more quickly so that they can become immortal is that why they're immortal yeah how could you evolve to survive something though I don't know if they individually evolved, but the women evolved to use the energy of the planet to suck the life force out of the men. Until there were no men left. Until there's no men left. Several generations late. Yeah, generations later, I guess. Well, they've been draining men for 150 years. So who knows how long they've been on. They could have been on this planet for thousands of years before. Mm. And this is the generation where they've become immortal because they can feed off these energies. It doesn't make a lot of sense, to be honest. There's a lot of holes in it. They also learned that they can control men's brains. So every 27 years, they must drain more men to live, but they can't age and they can't have children. It's part of the side effect of their immortality. That's usually the side effect of anything, isn't it? When it comes to a planet of women. But do they even want to be immortal weren't they complaining that they can't age or die if they just stopped killing men for their energy they wouldn't be immortal anymore it seems a bit selfish doesn't it yeah or just get off the planet well (laughs) they're supposed to be powerful earlier we see them lifting the men up as if they're pieces of paper i know they throw them them. (laughs) they must have more power than they're showing suddenly conveniently at this point it's fun to watch but the more you think about it the more you're like "Eh, it doesn't make a lot of sense so her still wants to find kirk so they use the optuod to find him why didn't Thela do that initially when they were looking for them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they see that they are drowning and they run out and then just blast the hell out of that urn. Yeah. They get the guys back on the ship and they're dying. They can't reverse the aging process, but Spock comes up with an idea. He says that the transporter holds the record of their younger selves. It does? 
just the selves that went down before. No? Yeah. Well, mm, I mean, did, oh, this is did. why this episode is not canon, because if they could do this, then mm. they can, again, do anything. Right. It's like, oh, Spock's dead. Let's beam use, his dead body back up. Just yeah. Using, using the older pattern. Right. Yeah. Oh, but you've yeah. been wanting them to do this kind of thing well, the whole time. But now they're doing it. You don't like it. No, because it breaks Star Trek. So they yeah. they have to put limitations on transporters. And I think that that's fine. Anyhow. Now it's not canon. It could have been to <laughs> this point. <laughs> the first part's canon. Spock says that it probably won't work. And the odds of success are 99.7 to 1 against them. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. Why? So why would you even try it? That's well, yeah. preposterous. In the writing of it, just say, well, the odds are maybe 80% or 75%. Something. But 99? <laughs> you would bother trying. Jeez. This is all they've got, though, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Failure will result in them being space dust. Scotty Ooh. and the other men are doing fine now with the shields of full power. He gets to reprogramming the transporter, and then they do it. It worked. Kirk says, did it work? Uhura says, you're more handsome than ever. <laughs> oh, I was oh, well. doing so well. So back on the planet, Thela destroys the probe that lures men there. And Uhura says that they will send an all-female crew to transport the women away. And in a few months, they will return to normal age regularly and be able to have kids. Yay. <laughs> Everything is reversible in Star Trek. Yes. And of course, there's no mention of their trials for mass murder. Oh, for all right. those men that they've killed over the last 150 years. Oh, they didn't mean to. They did. <laughs> they just wanted to have kids, did they? I don't no, know they, they just wanted to live forever. Yeah, or they why? did. I don't, I don't know. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. Tell Captain Kirk, we have kept the agreement. A crew of women will bring a ship back. You'll be transported to the first suitable planet. How quickly will we become as other women? Dr. McCoy says it should only take a few months. A life of hope. New learning. Perhaps love. Oh, it is a much better future than immortality. That's the end. Huh, okay. Wow. On to concepts. On to concepts. Uhura takes control of the ship. Yeah. Chapel as chief medical officer. Yes. Gene Roddenberry had always wanted to show Uhura as a capable commander, though that hadn't been doable in the more sexist 1960s when TOS had been produced. Roddenberry finally got his wish with this episode, said Star Trek the magazine. Oh, wow. David Gerald remembered. Michelle was reading through the script. She says, I'm taking command of the ship. And then she goes, at last. She just got so excited. <laughs> and that's in the audio commentary for Bem. So women in leadership at the time included Isabel Martinez de Perón, the first female president of Argentina mm. and the first woman non-monarch head of state in the Western Hemisphere. Oh. Indira Gandhi had been prime minister since the original series began in mm. India. There was one woman in the Senate, two in the House of Representatives in wow. America. Wow. The first congresswoman had been in 1917, so not much progress. No. 1972 saw Catherine Graham be the first female CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, just the year before this aired. Mm -hmm. 1972, the first two brigadier generals were promoted. I think that's the UK. The first female rabbi created in 1972. One for the Canadians. 1973, the first female pilot of a commercial airline in North America, Rosella Bjornsson. And not until 1976 were the first women trained in a military academy in the US. Hmm. The signal was coming from 20 light years away when they started calling the yeah, really ship far. towards them. Really How did that work? I don't know. That's, that was just the optoord? It has subspace communication, which travels much faster than light speed. Mm -hmm. um, 
It was better than the deadly years in terms of an ageing episode. <laughs> we had the ageing headbands, which they couldn't take off for some reason, but Chapel could. Maybe only women can take them off. Sure. Which sapped their life force and transferred it to She-Ra and the gang. Plus there was radiation going on. The planet was sucking away the energy of the men and the women were somehow able to harness that energy sucking to make them immortal. So they were sucking it out more rapidly when they were closer to them mm -hmm. with the headbands Yeah. On. The glandular secretion had allowed the women to survive, but why would that apply to our women? It doesn't. It makes them immune to the mind control. If they were there longer, eventually they would get weaker, but they weren't there oh. that long. I think. Mm, okay. Yeah, it was a bit hazy in general on what was luring them, what was making them baked, what was sapping their life force. A lot of concepts to cram into 22 minutes. Right. Star Trek 101 by Erdman and Block complains that the beautiful sirens in this outing aren't a lot brighter than the iMogs from the episode Spock's Brain and questions whether the female inhabitants ever think to utilize their male luring signal to summon help or ask a passing starship if it can take them to a safer planet. Yep. Mm. Spock was heroic despite the situation. Situation. Kirk was pretty ineffectual. Using the transporter to go back to an earlier, younger version of themselves was pretty out of left field. Would it really be almost a hundred percent chance of failure, though? Yeah, no, it mm. seems it seems pretty silly. I'm gonna go for. Oh, I'm so torn. I think the concepts are quite messy when you pick at them, but just because Uhura was in command of the ship, I'm still just going to have to give it a 7 out of 10. I find that more entertaining than conceptual. I'm going to give it a 5, just because it was a pretty muddled and there was a lot of confusing things. That gets us into entertainment. Yeah. Uhura rocks it with her phaser in three different ways. At least three. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek magazine considered the moment where Uhura leads a landing party to save the BFG as being the best moment from the animated Star Trek, exclaiming her stun first and ask questions later attitude is a joy to behold. Mm. Oh, to have seen Nichelle Nichols perform this in a live action episode. Oh, yeah, it would have been glorious. Would have been great. I loved the awesome look of the She-Ra's and the planet. Gene didn't ruin it much and he did let the women have their heroic episode. Mm -hmm. And I do need to give him more credit than I have yeah. done before, yeah, actually. Yeah. Scotty's singing and everyone baked was a little bit of entertainment. It was. And the men getting tossed aside and held up by the Shiraz as if they had no weight at all. All around, I'd give it seven out of ten. Yeah, seven. It was really entertaining. The, the problems I had with it were kind of more conceptual, I think. And we were really excited. We were just mm -hmm. having a fun time watching it. So yeah, yeah, it was great. That brings us to sexiness. Uhura and the badasses. I can't get over the eyes, though. Ah, uh, well. It really spoils it for me. Kind of unfocus your eyes and then watch it, and it's a little bit better. <laughs> She-Ra and the She-Ra's were gorgeous. Mm -hmm. A bit vacant. I'll give it 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give it a 4 Ooh. out of 5, because, I man, there's something about Ahura being awesome that is it gets my, my juices flowing. <laughs> I want a whole movie about that. My guess is, not bad. Testosterone-born disease, no, but it was a physical secretion thing, I guess. It did make the men incapable of running the ship. Women will have to take control from the reluctant men. No, the men were fine with it. No. <laughs> they were too baked, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. All were relieved when the men were back in control, knowing Jean. No, not really. No. There wasn't time to sort of acknowledge how it had been for everybody. But... Yeah. No, everybody seemed fine with it. Yeah. They, and yeah. did an awesome job. She kicked ass. So the next episode that we're covering is More Tribbles, More Troubles. Oh, I hope that's good. So we now want to let you know about a new podcast that's just coming out by friends of the show, Blake Smith and Jeb Card. They asked us to do their theme song. 
So if you go and listen to In Research Of, the new podcast, you will hear our theme song. Yes, it was uh, constructed mostly by Rachel and then Greg Johnson came in and produced the hell out of it and yes. made, it, made some <laughs> magic in there. Thank God. So here's a little bit about In Research Of. If you enjoy watching paranormal-themed documentary television, you can thank the groundbreaking 1970s show In Search Of. Hosted by Star Trek's Leonard Nimoy, this half-hour series took a look at all kinds of mysterious legends and phenomena, from UFOs to ghosts to Bigfoot. They only had half an hour and wanted it to be an interesting show, so they only had time to look at some of the possible explanations. The new podcast, In Research Of, is going back to look at the explanations that didn't make it to the screen. In Research Of is hosted by archaeologist Jeb Card, author of Spooky Archaeology, mm. and friendly sceptic Blake Smith of the Monster Talk podcast. You can find it now on iTunes and Patreon. Head over there, check it out. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I think it's beautiful, the theme song. <laughs> I do. It gets, makes me a little, it's like, a, it's got like a little uplifting uh, quality to it. It's really nice. Yeah. And the first episode, the pilot episode, I believe is about alien astronauts or something. So yeah. I'm, I'm take more of a dive into this and see what the <laughs> heck is going on. Head over and enjoy the podcast. Yeah. You know, it's not all about us, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> and with that, I'm Rachel Leckie. And I'm Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to Rachel Watch Star Trek. Star Trek!